0: Okay, so welcome back to uh, Standing in the Rubble. Uh, today, my guest um, is Bruxy Cavey. Bruxy, um is a fairly new friend. Um, he, someone I, I got to know about a little bit on social media. I saw a couple of videos of his and then I ended up reading one of his books and really liked it. And then I saw he was in London for a few days and messaged him and we ended up um, Having lunch together. Actually, Malcolm and I went down to London to have lunch with him, and we just talked about where we come from and what our vision of church is and kingdom, and and just felt a real synergy of um, what Bruxy's doing over there in, um, in Canada and um, what we're trying to do here on a smaller scale um, in Europe, a, a real synergy about this Jesus centered church. So, welcome, Bruxy. Adam, this is a privilege. Thanks for inviting me into your space. Yeah, so good to have you. So good to have you with us, and I know we've 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 interacted a few times since um since that restaurant in uh, in London near Waterloo, I think it was. But um yeah, I'm just I've just been I've been loving the journey. It's been so good to find um to find somebody who um is working out the same challenges in leading churches is trying to um try to work out the same sort of models. Um, so yeah, I mean maybe we just start there a little bit, talk a little bit about what your church is like um tell us a little bit about the the scale the model the style and the whole um this jesus-centered model that we're both pursuing
1: sure yeah and and I, i agree that it's it's a really fun experience to discover family that you have that you were unaware of before and that's i mean that's true for every christian encounter when you meet christians you're not just making new friends you're discovering old family and um and, but that's definitely true even within the Christian family, when you have people who are like-minded in their Jesus-centricity and how they want to reach the world around them, and there's just that sense of, uh, I've discovered my long-lost sibling that uh, that I didn't even know existed, and we were separated at birth or something, and now here we are. So every new relationship can feel like a reunion, and that's been my experience with you, Adam, and then I, I feel that our church and your church, I, I'm happy to have us learn more about one another so that. Um, the people that we are in community with in our respective locations can have that also participate in that sense of I've got brothers and sisters over on another side of the planet that really resonate with me and are praying for me and care about me and and so on behalf of the meeting house uh, our church uh, we're excited to get to know you guys better and, mm-hmm. um, and just to, to discover that family relationship together so we uh, our church then the meeting house so you can get to know a bit about us we we come from an Anabaptist background so Anabaptists are, uh, if you think of the protestant reformation where you had the protestants who protest the catholic movement and you have the division there the during the just on the heels of the protestant reformation was what was called the radical reformation and while the protestant reformation did us a great service in helping pull people back to scripture and say let's come back to the bible and not just trust blindly in church tradition without coming back to scripture, that was the Protestant Reformation. The Radical Reformation said, well, now that you've got us reading scripture, we see that Jesus is the center of the whole thing. And if we're not keeping Jesus at the center of the whole thing, just coming back to scripture in general is not enough. Just saying I follow the Bible is not the maxim of the Jesus followers. I follow Jesus uh, because a skilled leader can... can pull what he wants to out of the Bible to make a church head in almost any direction. Um, you know, cults can be can claim to follow the Bible, and um, and certainly the Christian Church, both Catholic and Protestant, have gone through seasons where we have followed the Bible and used the Bible to justify all kinds of horrific violence and and prejudice and judgmentalism because you can, pull, you can pull what you feel you need to if you don't have Jesus at the center of your hermeneutic, of how you navigate Scripture. So, and that's the beautiful, I think it's a delicious irony of following Jesus is that we learn about Jesus from the Bible. We, we wouldn't know about him except, except reading the Bible, but when we read Jesus in the Bible, he teaches us how to read our Bible. and and, right and around and around we go but we we study jesus in the bible and he points out how to relate to the to the entirety of scripture and how he's at the center of it all so we're just part of that movement anabaptists the radical reformers just are those who are always pushing us to say let's not just follow the bible let's read the bible so we can follow jesus
0: yeah and i think that's um it's just a beautiful way of putting it because it's that um it's so easy isn't it and i think through Through you know part of my upbringing, etc. I think you just realise when you reflect you it's so easy to read Jesus through the lens of Paul or Jesus through the lens of the Old Testament, and actually it's a profound switch when you learn to read Paul through the lens of Jesus and learn the old read the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus, and and it it makes it makes a huge difference. And I think um, this is something that we really understood in a in a fuller way over the last maybe four years ago we started doing a series on mark because we came to this real you know kind of new depth of understanding i would say where we say look jesus is the revelation of what god is like. like this is he He is the fullest revelation so so therefore let's look at jesus and we spent i think 22 months in the book of mark um probably people listening to this go oh no yeah we remember but actually it was um it was yeah it was it was a real journey for us as a church to dig, to dig into that and go. Okay, so what does this tell us about who Jesus is and what Jesus is like? And, and there were a lot of surprises in that journey. There are a lot of things that we thought we understood about Jesus. Maybe because we've looked through other lenses. That suddenly, when you just when you look at the Gospels and go, so let's just look at who Jesus was as a person, what he was up to, or what what the writers telling us here. We, I think we we found a lot of surprises. It was a it was a f- f- fascinating journey for myself.
1: Yeah, that yeah, that's beautiful. And there, there are different strengths and weaknesses of all different traditions. And certainly, people will rally around different aspects of our faith as their uh, um, as their centerpiece. And even when you think of the Trinity, some Christians uh, would rally more around God the Father as their starting point, and in their theology and in just the way they talk and and approach their own faith, they will talk about uh, not only God's fatherhood but God's kingship, God's sovereignty, God's authority, God's control. And so his majesty and his authority and his power as God the Father is uh, kind of their entrance point in any conversation. And then others will rally, or uh, their entrance point is the Holy Spirit. And right. so they being Spirit-filled and moving in the gifts of the Spirit and, and sensing what the Spirit is doing is just the way they process and think and talk through the faith. Um, I think there is something to be said, of course, for, for both of those, but there is, there's something especially dynamic that helps make everything else make sense when we start with Jesus and, uh, and so I think the wind of the Holy Spirit is blowing us in a direction, and that's in the Jesus Word direction, right. to say, you know, you, I, it seems to me that we know that someone is Spirit-filled, that the Spirit is moving when people are gaga for Jesus, and they're talking about Jesus. And um, and so Jesus seems to be our entrance point into understanding, well, what is the Father like? I mean, yes, he's got all authority. He's the creator. But is he is he nice, or is he mean, or is he... Right. Right. So we we get that vision through Jesus. And that gives us, I think, the courage to investigate this loving God because he is Emmanuel, God with us. So in Jesus, we see that God is for us and not against us. And that gives us the courage then
0: to say, what else can I learn about this God? I love it. And um, yeah, and it's really helpful perspective. So if you don't mind me being a little personal, um, you don't look like um, a pastor of a mega church um and yet the meeting house is of a particular size right that's true
1: um uh i'm undercover uh we, we have uh, so yeah the meeting house i mean in canadian standards and maybe also in the uk we have, we have a few thousand we have maybe five thousand who would attend when we were attending and yeah. um and then maybe ten thousand total who would call the meeting house home and then others who listen around the world to our podcasts, etc so that it, it's funny because that's significant numbers in one sense, but then we're neighbors to our friends to the south in America, where uh, a mega church down there is much larger than anything that we're experienced. But having said that, um, all of that is is interesting. Um, but we we not only would see ourselves as a large church, but as a small church. In that, for us, home church we call them home churches, like actually doing church in the homes where. You, uh, we have a phrase we use that real church happens when you turn the chairs to face one another. So that once we are engaged in each other's lives in smaller units, um, that, that, is, that is really pressing us into what the New Testament expression of church is. Um, and even now that we're online during this uh, season of social isolation, we have over 100 home churches that are, are still meeting and gathering people together in, in online expressions and then trying to find ways to care for one another well. And so we're, in some sense, from the outside looking in, we look like a large church, but from the inside out, we experience ourselves as a network of very small churches.
0: Yeah. It's, and see, this is why I love having conversations with you, Brexit, because, um, again, it's just these these things that resonate. I think when I remember back to, you know, 12 years ago as a church, and we said, um, okay, so our belonging is in the small. So yeah, we're a, you know, a big church for a small town, as it were, um, but our belongings in the small, and so we talked about this is where our small groups happen, and this is where our pastoral care happens, and our discipling happens, and our accountability happens, and our <laughs> our relationships happen, and um, all those sorts, and our encouragement, and all on, and yeah, people people who are going to know us and miss us, and and walk the journey with us. And then more recently, as we've got into lockdown, we've we've talked more about well, one church, many living rooms, and like actually we're um, this is this is how we're, we're gathering now we're the, we're the dispersed church we're not the um, so we're a large church in many senses but actually we're, we're a dispersed number of small um, mm, churches. Yeah, yeah not quite a hundred small groups but you know we're we're 20 something small groups and um and it's and it's really encouraging to see how they all work but again it's just that sort of resonance of your language and your journey which I think you know um, just connects with the same same language so yes Mm -hmm. i love listening to you about this stuff but obviously we're we're looking at this question of um this series i guess of standing in the rubble you know the everything's fallen or falling like the world is changing in um i saw a tweet yesterday which made me chuckle because it said in the future historians are going to be asked which month of 2020 they specialize in because (laughs) Because it's all changing so quickly, right? And um yeah. you know we've got the whole pandemic thing, and then we've got the whole "Black Lives Matter and racism thing in yeah. North America, but not all not just North America, you know, it's that's rippling out across the world and is an, and is an issue here too in the UK. And um and it just seems like um and, and there's other things going on too, and it's an election year in America and um yeah. let's see what happens there. It just this the world is changing rapidly. Um so how's this been how's this been for you in in Canada? Before we get into the so what's God doing and what's you know, where is God in this and how do we navigate this? What how's it been for you these last few months?
1: Right. Well, I speak on behalf of introverts to say I am living the dream. <laughs> Uh, for 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 society to agree, we're all just going to stay in our home and not go into any more any. We're not going to have any human interaction. There's a side of me, uh, just side of me that says, "Well, this is just perfect. It's my year to shine." Um, but having said that, that's a part of me. Um, I I have this strange balance in that um, I I love people and I want to serve people and also uh, love communicating about jesus with people and i am psychologically wired as a highly skewed introvert uh almost dysfunctionally so and um and so i i there's something that you know personally i'm weathering this okay but but the other side of me is that i just really want to be with people to connect with them um is also very true and i'm a walking paradox but isn't every human being Um, so i i think of there's this line in first thessalonians uh, is it chapter one or chapter two? I think it's chapter two where the apostle Paul says, "I wanted to come to you and get there in person, but Satan stopped us." Um, and and so I, ha- I have to write this letter. Is the bottom line here? He says, "I wanted to get to you in person, but Satan stopped us." We don't know how Satan stopped him. We don't know whether someone in his tra- uh, in his traveling band got sick, or whether it was a natural disaster or a spiritual attack. But Somehow he gives credit to Satan, say, Satan prevented us from getting there. So Paul acknowledges that being in person is always the best. It's better than writing a letter. Uh, it, he, he wanted to be there in person. It was a satanic origin that prevented him from getting there in person. But the beautiful thing about how God works is, you know, Satan has, uh, has something that he thinks is going to thwart God's plan, and God leverages that into something even better. So Paul couldn't get there in person, which meant he had to write them a letter, which becomes the book of 1 Thessalonians. And now for 2,000 years, Christians around the world have been blessed by Paul's thoughts on some issues that we would have never heard if he made it there in person and he had an in-person conversation. It would have been great for the Thessalonians, but the rest of the church would have been impoverished. So God's always, I mean, this is at the centerpiece of our faith. The greatest injustice ever accomplished, the greatest wrong ever done was the crucifixion of Christ, the perfect being punished like a criminal. And yet God uses the worst thing ever done to become the best blessing ever given. That's at the center of our faith. So we should be that people who by now have got it into our blood, you know, to say when something horrible happens, our God at the center of our faith is a God who reminds us that he's in the business of turning the horrible into some new blessing, opportunity, privilege for us. And so, um, and so we, we've tried to take our, Um, example from that and say as a church if 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 this is the reality for now that we um, can't meet in person that we are socially isolated how can we um, do like Paul use the technology of our day Paul used letter writing as the technology of his day to still keep the message moving forward and so we have shifted more to an online presence we have our live streaming services and we have our ways of connecting and lots of zoom meetings um, with folks and in our home church yeah, yeah. So uh, but yes yes well and we and we've said this is for now and of course just like Paul would say being in person is always better but until we can um, how can we use the technology of our day to actually invite more people into the experience mm-hmm. and um, and that seems to be what's happening which is it's got its own beauty to it so probably moving forward um, we're going to we're learning a lot
0: of lessons during this season that we'll probably carry into our future right and i love what you're saying there about how you know god uses the these destructive things you know god doesn't bring about coronavirus or right. or whatever but he uses these things which you know reminds me of you know romans eight twenty eight. 28 it's a very famous verse god works all things for good for those who love him um although it's has a ring of privilege about it and um but actually and something i talk about a bit actually in the footnote um it says alternative translation god works together with those who love him to bring good in all situations Mm. which is a that's a much bigger story and and actually is an invitation for us to join in that work of working in difficulties working in difficult times like this in times of destruction and times of chaos and times of anger and times of violence and times of um lockdown and times of suffering and poverty and an extreme hardship and, and and god says well look i'm i'm the god who's in the business of bringing good out of bad um, but here's an invitation for you to join in on that like yeah. don't just sit back and wait for me to do it like you know i think and and often we kind of you know it's so easy to read romans 8 28 going well god's going to make sure that whatever bad happens to you, God is going to work good out for you because you love him, Um, which which is true. It's just, it's it's a bit smaller than God's going to work with you to bring good out of all these situations, and I love that. Um, So yeah, there's this invitation to join in.
1: Yes, well, and I think that some of this is adjusted by and flows better with a robust understanding of how the Bible opens with us being made as as people who are made in the image of God, that we are His glorious image bearers, we are made to be like God in the likeness of God. And uh, I think that a, a a better understanding of the first chapter of our Bible and uh, will help us move forward, and everything else starts to make more sense. This idea of being called into partnership, the idea that that God could He could do everything on His own and call us to just be bystander worshipers but our worship only took the form of saying we're cheering for you god you go boy and we're we're worshiping you while you go and do everything Uh, just as a diminished understanding of who we were made to be as his image bearers that he makes us people like himself yeah he we're, we're not just animals he already had a petting zoo and he said it's not enough i want people not pets and so he 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 this whole what a fascinating idea that within the animal world the creaturely world the physical world he's going to plant people uh, creatures who are not just animals but are, are 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 image bearers of himself he's going to stamp that into creation through humanity it makes great sense then that he would and that's why the bible is such a long revelation because god committed to this process of partnership not just sit back and watch and i'll do everything because if it was just us watching and cheering god on worshiping him while he did everything the Bible would be a pretty short story because he's very efficient. You know, God can get stuff done like that. The, the thing that makes it such a laborious and winding road is that he's working with us who are very inefficient and sometimes sinful and sometimes, sometimes lazy, and, and yet he's not giving up on us. He really wants to partner with his image bearers.
0: Now, I didn't put you up to this at all because there will be people in our church, in YCC, listening to this going, uh oh. yeah see genesis there's genesis again because i have this phrase which i use quite a lot going everything starts in genesis like if you understand the beginning then you understand the rest and oh, um so just to hear you say that just made me smile because i'm going for so ycc listeners to this i did not put brooksy up to that that is just oh, no, that's just right. another little resonance but um i have to disappear yeah. off the
1: screen to grab a power cord that's falling down <laughs> sure. My computer just told me it's about to shut down because I, I, I didn't realize it wasn't plugged in. So there you go. Okay, we're back.
0: That's to this. all good. So yeah, and, um, and then that plays through, doesn't it, to um, you know, Colossians 1, where it talks about Jesus being the revelation of the invisible garden, um, mm-hmm. which is the very role we were created for. So then Jesus perfects yep. that role and shows us exactly what that looks like, how to do that, and then invites us into that journey with him as the body of Christ.
1: Yeah, so good. I mean, if God can become a bush and a pillar of fire, it makes the most sense that God would become a human being because that's already his own image stamped into creation. And so that Jesus is the actually the logical fusion expression of God, where God and his own image that he's created to reflect himself in the first place comes together in kind of a one-stop shopping for all of your divine understanding. It's right there with Jesus.
0: So, um so in this moment, um, in this time, like what, as we stand in the rubble and we try and navigate the way forward, and you've talked a little bit about moving online and making use of the opportunities and the technology and the, um, but talk a little bit, um, maybe more into what you sense, um, what's stirring in your spirit, maybe what, what you sense God, what what you sense is going on here, what you sense God is up to.
1: Mm, Yeah. Um, there is uh, two things are true one is that i i sense that there is something beautiful that god is birthing d- during out of this season and the other thing that i always sense is that i don't have a sweet clue of how deep the rabbit hole goes or <laughs> how much iceberg there is beneath the surface and actually sense or see um i think of the book of romans in the last couple of chapters of romans Paul actually reveals why he's writing and says I plan to go on a missionary journey to Spain and I am writing this to you so that when I stop off in Rome on my way to Spain I can take up a collection and what you realize at the end is Romans is Paul's fundraising letter he's he has a plan to go to Spain and he Many of the other letters he's writing, he's writing to churches that he planted and he discipled. Then he goes away and he hears that they've got questions or there's some trouble going on. So he has to write back to them. He's never uh, planted the church in Rome and they they don't know him there. And so he has to write a very thorough, orderly account of his theology uh, and things that he's heard about the church. uh, But they don't know him like other churches do. So you get a very systematic and a very thought through presentation of here's where I stand. all so that they'll know him well enough and feel good about his message when he gets there, he can take up a collection so he can go to Spain. Now, here's the fascinating thing the Apostle Paul never made it to Spain, he was arrested and killed before he got to Spain. So, the whole purpose, from Paul's point of view, the whole purpose as to why he wrote the book of Romans never came about. Paul never made it to Spain, ah, but he did write Romans, and once again what for Paul would have been a great tragedy. My The whole reason behind this letter has gone to waste. I'm not making it to Spain. I can't take up a collection. I can't. I want to carry the gospel forward. God says, you, yeah, but you wrote Romans, and the church is going to be blessed for 2,000 years with what you've written here. So I'm always aware of as long as we're faithful to move forward with the little that we see, we may even find out we're wrong about what we think we're doing but if we're faithful as we're moving forward, God's using it. He's weaving our smaller understandings into his bigger plan when we're faithful about it. And so Romans is not a testament to failure. It's a testament to success, even though Paul would not have known that at the time. So that gives me great encouragement to say, be faithful, move forward, keep my eyes fixed on Jesus. And I and I, and uh, if I trust in the Jesus of Scripture, then I have every good reason to believe that God is going to weave this into something that's just far bigger than I I have a vision for right now.
0: Right. Now I love that because I think sometimes we can kind of get a little bit paralyzed by wanting to do the right thing. And when everything's uncertain, we go, well, I don't know what the right thing is. So then I don't know, maybe I won't do anything or maybe we'll make, maybe and actually just that faithfulness of moving forward and okay, well then, well, let's do something then, you know, let's go and spend some time loving this person or spend some time <laughs> serving this person or in this context or like even if it doesn't pan out how we thought it was going to pan out, God God will still use it because um, of our faithfulness. Expression
1: ones. of love we know is always going to be uh, the the way of Jesus, and that's what Jesus is asking us for. Some expression of love. Um, what we find is that you know Jesus when he's asked, "What's the greatest commandment?" And people might have been expecting him to say, according to the Shema, just love the Lord God with all you've got. And he says that, but then he ties it, of course, to love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus was only asked for one commandment, but he couldn't do it. He said, no, if I'm going to give you that one. I've got to tie it. I've got to bind it together with uh, the other you know, verticals got to be bound together with the horizontal, love your neighbor as yourself. And so our worship of God comes through the love of neighbor as ourself. And what is interesting is that the New Testament church and the writings of Paul and the apostles, the early New Testament church, um, their short form for addressing that is that they just skip straight to love your neighbor. So in Galatians 5, the apostle Paul says, if you love your neighbors yourself. That fulfills the law. Just do that. He doesn't say, remember, love God first and then love your neighbors yourself. He assumes I'm talking to a bunch of people who love God. So I'm not, I don't even, he, they just skip that. You know, Jesus tied, the, the, his, his religious leader expected Jesus to only give the first commandment. Jesus tied it to the second. And then the New Testament church only refers to the second from then on. Uh, when they they bring this up and say just love your neighbor of yourself that fulfills the entire law and and so it is that the the liturgy the worship of the new testament church was was we are going to have access to god and have intimacy with god and worship god through people we've got to engage in the love of others that is our worship service yeah. and and so that's a beautiful every that, that's always the way of jesus and so no matter what changes in our culture or in our context to just say what's the loving expression right now will always be a way of uh, engaging in the best form of worship
0: yeah and that's really encouraging we um we have a phrase that we use that says the kingdom of god is brought in one act of love at a time yeah, and, right. um, and i think it's um it's really important to remember because sometimes we're always looking for the huge thing to do or the big thing to do or the the thing that's going to clearly change the whole world around us or whatever it might be and um and actually one act of love at a time one decision to forgive somebody or one decision to go and help your neighbor with their shopping or um childcare or whatever it might be and um yeah, just one love, one act of love at a time is how the kingdom comes in, and 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 yeah. it's brought in by us. God isn't going to impose this kingdom on us because he hasn't done for two thousand years. He's he's announced it, he's he's brought it in um, in the spirit, but then he invites us to bring that in um, proactively rather than just sit here waiting for God to impose it. And um, yeah. Right. yeah, one act of love at a time.
1: Oh well, yeah, that's that's beautiful, um, and I think that's. That 's why even during this particular season where uh, there is so much unrest and there is we're in this new reality of how we 're living with social isolation and um, and and so many other things all happening at once in 2020 as you've talked about um, the uh, one of the things we want to be as a church is consistent in just being the people who are showing the way of love mm. um, so there I understand that a new context may need us to pivot and have some new methodologies. Um, such as online versus in person. In many cases, uh, the the wine skin may change, but the new wine though is consistent. Right. That's going to be filled with love, and so that that um, when we're, we're new in in our variety of expressions, but what we are expressing is got to be on point all the time. So that otherwise we are we're just opportunists who are saying, "Hey, now that COVID's here and people are self isolated, what can we do to capitalize on the moment?" To kind of nab them for Jesus. And we don't want to be opportunists. We want to look at the opportunity and just consistently love well, and then allow that to take different
0: shapes and forms. Yeah, it's really good. It's really good. So, um, is there a story at the moment in the Bible that's kind of resonating for you or, um, Mm -hmm. is there, um, is there something that you're kind of is, working around in your mind and in your spirit um, and like digging some truth or some beauty out that kind of relates to this moment.
1: Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I have been uh, a few weeks ago, I, I blogged on this and a couple of weeks ago I preached on this. And often when I finally get out of my system, I've moved on to something else, but I, I haven't been able to move on to something else. I keep coming back just my personal devotions to, uh, and it's Luke chapter 18, where it's the story of the persistent widow. And, and what has just grabbed me there, and I keep going over this, just, just hanging out with Jesus and saying, continue to teach me from this passage. And uh, what is standing out to me is that you know, Jesus tells the story of a widow who goes before an unjust judge. So there's a man in charge who doesn't care about the people. He appreciates his power, but it really does say he's he's not someone who cares, and and so if she goes before him for justice in her particular case. And Jesus doesn't give us the details of what that is. Um, and of course, he's telling a parable. It's an illustration. She goes before him to get justice and he, he won't give it to her. He just doesn't really care. Um, but if she is so persistent that eventually, even for selfish reasons, the judge says, all right, I will grant her her wishes and bring about justice in her particular case. Because I don't want to look bad, and I don't want to have her, you know, you know, drag my name through the mud, or, or eventually, I don't want to get people upset with me and and it come to my harm. So, still perfectly selfish, he's consistent with his character. But he even pivots and changes and grants justice uh, because of her persistence. And God doesn't say, therefore, God is like this unjust judge. He says, even if the unjust judge will change his direction because of persistence, how much more will the Father who loves you? want to grant justice, but I'm, there's this partnership thing again, though, but this is Jesus invitation to pray. He says, uh, I've got my bookmark in it cause I'm looking at it so often, but he, he starts the parable, he brackets it. He bookends it this way. He says, uh, he told this parable that they should always pray and not give up, always pray and not give up. So our, whatever we do being energized by prayer, I mean, sometimes that's all we can do is pray. We have no power and no influence. But of course, as we've been talking about as God's image bearers, when we do have more power, more influence, more privilege, whatever it may be, we use that to bless people in the name of Jesus, to work for change. But whether we have nothing we can do or everything we can do, we always pray, no matter what. He says we pray and not give up, is why he tells the parable. And then at the end, he says, I tell you, um, he will bring justice quickly. Uh, because of her persistence. Um, and then he he ends with a question, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And this word faith is so interesting. The Greek word faith, pistis, can be translated faith or faithfulness. It really is different than just an intellectual agreement with something, but it's it's an embrace of an ideal or a person that we manifest in, in life. And so when Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? It's also, will he find faithfulness? Will he find a people who are living this out and expressing this always bathed in prayer with justice as something that is worth praying for and working for in our faithfulness. The whole thing seems to wrap together for me as as it's become a theme parable of Jesus for this season to say, I want to keep praying. I want to keep working for justice. Um, Mm -hmm. I want God to take the lead, but I don't want to be passive and just kind of throw the ball to him. Say, you run with it. uh, I I want to do my part because he's calling me to
0: do that. I love that and that you know and that just just to encourage you that re- that resonates I think so much with what we felt God talking to us about as a church I think even if I go back to a year ago and we were walking around metaphorically the, the walls of Jericho and and we felt at that time that God was saying to us the weapons that you carry into this are prayer and worship now and mm-hmm. um and that um we need to um spend more time praying Um, calling us to be people, calling me to be someone who spends more time praying. Um, And because that was the posture for the, for whatever this new was. And, um, and even that um, an encouragement, if I go back a little bit more than a year to um, the, as we need to dig our own wells. Um, So whereas our um, rather than necessarily always looking to the collective for our spiritual, um, food like how are we getting how are we praying ourselves getting into the word ourselves digging that relationship with god so through this time we um are able to be closer to him express that faithfulness work um with him so i think that's a really um relevant pertinent accurate um encouragement um for for us as ycc and probably for the church at this time um so yeah thank you for that um it's been great uh um yeah just to spend this time with you being encouraged by you being blessed by you um so thank you so much for taking the time for this and um yeah let's uh let's see how our church's um stories and journeys and um cross and connect and whatever as we move forward thank you so much
1: yeah i look forward to uh To my people and your people hanging out a little bit more in the future. Uh, And and I'm really glad to be getting to know you better, Adam. So thank you for this. Yeah, it's pretty great. Thank you.